0: Welcome into the, the clap trap brought to you by Ultrasound Productions now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, we are back again. It is the Groundhog Day episode of the claptrap and we are bringing back on coach kamire to talk once again it's been a little bit i know we've been busy and everything but we're getting you back on here to be able to discuss everything that's happened in the nfl obviously the Patriots season ended we're going to talk about that we got a lot to talk about with the celtics but first of all i just want to say hello to you once again and how you how you've been i know you've been busy but you've been enjoying the sports
1: recently going on oh yeah big time man happy to be back on this platform again my man
0: Love it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I do want to get to the football stuff. Obviously, Coach Kameyer, we talk a lot of football stuff with him, but we're also big Celtics fans. And so we need to get into that. And we're going to start off with them first, because we've had three games since the last episode. We had the Hawks game on Friday night. You had the Pelicans game on Saturday. And then you just played against the Miami Heat last night. So the Celtics were able to win two out of those three games. Ah, uh, they have now won four out of their last five games. They're getting back into a position where maybe they're going to start to climb up that ladder in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. That right now, they're still in the ninth place position in the Eastern Conference, but they're two games over 500, which is nice to see. It'd be nice if they could get a little bit of a win streak here. They still have not had any, anything bigger than a three-game win streak on the season. So first off, just to kind of catch up on where you're at with the season, how have you been feeling recently with the team? I know that we talked about them earlier in the season. We were kind of hopeful. I was saying that they could possibly be like a a number six seed. I think that you were up as high as maybe even like a four or five seed. So I, I know that that's tough right now to think about. I still think that they can get back into a better position. Where are you at mentally with this team? Have you been frustrated? Have you been seeing some more improvement? Where are you at?
1: Uh, yeah, man, I think uh, I think all is pointing to uh, more positivity for the Celtics. The defense has been one of the top in the NBA over the past like month. Uh, they obviously they started a little bit slow and like uh, they're they're kind of getting used to uh, eBay's coaching style and you know they were giving up the big leads, kind of looking like last year and everything. They you know it's been something that's kind of like. Uh, stayed with this team for a long period of time now um, to the point where, like, I, I think I was watching – it might have been that Hawks game. I'm not sure. But I, I feel like they were had come all the way back and were down by just a point where they actually ended up taking the lead. And then I literally left the room for five minutes, and I came back, and the Hawks had gone into, like, a 19-4 to 4 run, and they were, like, losing badly. It <laughs> was just yes. like – why, like, I it's just frustrating when you do make these big comebacks and then you let the other team just you know demolish you again. Uh, it becomes frustrating as a fan, but um, I think it's I think everything's pointed to positivity, man. I think like uh, you know, Jalen and Jason are playing better with each other. Uh, I think like that was like a huge thing. Like a few weeks ago, they were talking about like oh, they can't play together, this and that, and everything. I think that's all hogwash. Um, you know, I, I think they're, you know, two of the best young players in the game and they should, uh, continue to grow together and, you know, become, uh, you know, a really uh, a force as the season moves forward here. Yeah. I mean, I mean Hey, I, have been saying since
0: the beginning, that it, you know, we're gonna keep the Jays together regardless, right? There's no, there's no splitting them up at this point. There's no, that would make no sense. You're not gonna get the value for a Jalen Brown that you, you know, you get from just having him on the team. I do still believe though that I'm ready and willing to blow up everything else around them. I know that we probably don't feel the same on that one. We're gonna get into that but i i think that yes obviously the jays is something that you need to try and make this work as much as you can because you clearly have two all-stars you you have one superstar that is how you start building an nba team you need those types of spots on your team or those players on your team but yeah it it was it was tough going back to that hawks game like you said i think they cut it to yeah they cut it to four or five points something like that then the hawks immediately went on a 10-0 run I I think that you know Danilo Gallinari was just not oh. missing a single shot. That guy, uh, all of a sudden, he just kills the Celtics out of nowhere. So uh, he's doing like dribble spin moves and stuff, and just getting to the lane and laying it up. I was like, what are we letting him do that for? But then they yeah, yeah they did had, it the
1: last time too
0: yeah they they then they had that nineteen to four run like you were talking about in the middle of the fourth, and that basically just put everything away. Uh, it, 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 once again, it felt like. The, another main problem is anytime we run into a team with a halfway decent big man we just can't do anything you had you had over there john Collins and um they have what's his other the the center that they have there i forget I, i'm, I'm look it up right now but it, it was just another once again I've, I've complained about this multiple multiple times capella I don't know why I was forgetting about yeah, capella So anytime you have like halfway decent big men on the other team and I'm still going back to how pissed off I was about losing that game to Minnesota Timberwolves when they brought in Greg Monroe that day and he all of a sudden almost had a triple double against us. That guy hadn't played in years. it it just frustrates me that we still get to that point so are you feeling like one of the things because i do want to talk about the trade deadline coming up we've been talking about that in previous episodes do you think it's still a point of of emphasis that this team needs to focus on bringing in more big men to to hold off these other guys because that seems to be a frustrating factor to me all the time that's one of the main reasons we lost to that hawks team you couldn't bang down low it seems
1: yeah i mean obviously the big men uh problem was definitely seen in that game, but I don't. I don't think that's why we lost the Hawks game. I think Trey Young's why we lost the Hawks game. I think that kid is shooting lights out, man. He's incredible. He's pulling up from wherever. He's getting to the rim when he wants to get to the rim, and he's uh, he's becoming like a uh, you know almost impossible to guard on the offensive end. So um, you know he brings the energy to that team, and you know he gets the big man involved. Um, and that's probably where we're seeing the most of the struggles is the fact that not only can, uh, you know, a guard like Trey young penetrate and, you know, create his own shot and hit all these deep threes, but he can also create opportunities for his big men as he drives down the lane. He's, uh, you know, throwing lobs and he's very accurate with his passes and he's putting his big men in you know easy situations to make easy buckets, easy points. So um, I, I feel like, that Hawks game was more results of Trey Young's ability to create his own shot, create offense for the rest of his team. I don't think that Clint Capella or any other big men really dominated that game uh, per se. You know, I, I, they had good games, but like I feel like Trey Young was the the main uh, factor in that loss.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's usually the catalyst for that team. They go, they go with him for sure. Uh, and, and you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, John, supposedly there's turmoil in that locker room, John Collins and, and Trey young maybe don't like each other. So I would absolutely love it if the Celtics could somehow go after John Collins. I still don't think that that's in the cards in any sense, but whatever. Uh, but I still felt like that was a team that it would have been nice to be able to beat a team that is under you in the standings, but skill wise on par, I would say to your caliber, I, I would have rather. Obviously, I think everyone would have rather you get a better performance out of them in that game. But, you know, it it is what it is, and we are where we are, and we have some other games that I want to talk about that happened over the weekend. We're going to do that when we can come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
1: The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: Okay, so we're here with coach Kameyer once again talking about the Celtics. We are going to get into some football topics in a little bit, but we're still talking about the Celtics right now. They are starting to gain some momentum. Like we said in the last segment, they've won 4 out of their last 5 games. They are coming into a month of February that looks to be, you know, a relatively decent schedule as far as the the level of competition at least the way that everything is setting up so I want to talk about the schedule but just kind of wrapping up the weekend's games and some extra thoughts that I had about everything you lost to the Hawks on Friday right you then win against the Pelicans which uh, the score would dictate that it was a closer game but really they bu- they blew out the Pelicans in my opinion and then you beat up on a, a heat team last night that didn't have Jimmy Butler and didn't have Kyle Lowry. And you have to just beat those teams when when they don't have them. But I really wish that they had had those players because now you're starting to build some momentum. The Heat are technically the best team in the Eastern Conference, at least by a standing perspective. So if you had had at least Jimmy Butler in there who was questionable with the ankle injury, and then you were able to beat them, I would have really felt a lot better about that. I don't think that there's much you can take from it right now. But I will say there's one thing. In this last five games... Marcus Smart has had at least six assists in four out of those five games. I guarantee you can pick out the one that he didn't have six assists in because that's the one that we lost. So I got to say, with Marcus Smart trying to play more of the legitimate point guard role recently, first of all, do you think that that's going to last do you think that he is actually going to continue to be a, a pass-first point guard? Because you saw it last night in the, the Heat game, a lot of great bounce passes, a lot of great playmaking that he was doing. I was in uh, he, like It looked like he was trying to pass first. I know he shot a lot of threes in that game, and that was kind of frustrating, but he was getting some open chances, so I you let it fly. But do you think that he is going to continue being a true point guard first player? And also, do you think that there's a reason maybe that he's changed his role recently, considering the fact that the trade deadline is coming up? Do you think it has anything to do with that and his mindset changing? Or do you think that he's just, I don't know, trying to fit into that role? Where, where are you at with Marcus Smart?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Marcus, uh, to me, he's been, he's been able to pass. Uh, he's, he's already, he's already, he's always had like a really good ability to, you know, whether it's driving down the, down the pain, he's throwing up a lob or he's like you said, with the bounce passes or, you know, he's got that in his bag. It's like part of his game, but he's, he can pass. Um, and, you know, that it's, it's been the same thing with Marcus Smart over his career. You know, it's just like, he gets trigger happy. He gets, he wants to, you know, like, He's a streaky shooter, so it's like if he feels like he's gonna make it, he's gonna put it up, he's gonna drain it, you know. Uh, and you know, then he, there he goes through his cold streaks of shooting where he's, you know, not making it as much, and that's when people get frustrated with, uh, you know, the threes and like why is he taking so many threes and this and that. You know, I think it's just it's just all part of his game and everything. And I think obviously him being like what like five or six years in now, I think he's he begins to realize. What he needs to do on the offensive end to help um, win games, just like he does on the defensive end, because no one ever questions a man's defense. No one ever questions, you know, the charges that he takes or the, you know, the lockdown defense or the, you know, the harassing defense that he plays on, you know, superstars in this league. So, um, you know, I think he's got that ability to become more of like an offensive facilitator. Uh, he just uh needs to really embrace it. Uh, he needs to embrace being an offensive facilitator with the same energy that he gives on the defensive end of the floor. And I think it'll help this team immensely. Oh, yeah. um, that's not to say, I'm not one of the people saying, Marcus never shoot a three. I I like when Marcus shoots, because I think he, if there's no, if nothing else, when he does two, it's just timely. Like, I feel like when we're up big, like we're up by like, you know, 10 points or more. I think you let Marcus shoot all he wants. Cause I feel like in those situations, just from what I've seen over the years, like in those situations we're up big or like up like, you know, nine or 10 points, whatever. And then he's always the dude to hit that three to make it 13 or to make it 16 or make it fit. You know what I mean? To really like break that game wide open. Um, The ones where I don't think he should shoot are the forced ones. Cause I feel like he's very good at shooting when we're, when we're front running but when we're trying to make these comebacks and we're in a tight game or we're in a game where we're maybe down by like five or ten points uh then when he's shooting these threes it's it just seems to me that he's he's taking forced shots shots that he you know shouldn't be taking and like shots that are much more lower percentage so um if he can you know you know just and i've been saying this for a while with him now is. just like find the time and the place when it's right to shoot it and when it's not right to shoot it. And when he'd be better off, you know, driving to the rim and, and facilitating, kicking out and passing or lobbying. Um, I feel like, you know, it's going to help this team grow uh, and take that next step that it needs to take.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, find, find the right time. Uh, and I don't know. With him, yes, it's great when he's hitting his shots, but it really points out all the bad things that get brought up, the arguing in the locker room and all that kind of stuff when he's jacking up the shots at bad times, like you said. And it would be one thing. If it's like its end of the shot clock, it ends up in Marcus Smart's hands and he has to throw up a shot. Everyone's completely fine with that at all times. But when I see a shot, a four shot out of Marcus Smart, five, six, seven seconds into the shot clock, like that's when it starts to frustrate me. And then uh, on top of it, it compounds it by the locker room stuff. Like I said, him acting like he's more of a GM or coach rather than a player sometimes so by some of the comments he makes. That's what really pisses he, me off. With he, that should stuff.
1: Be. he should be doing that, though, in my opinion. I think the Celtics okay. don't have that the Celtics don't have a leader in that locker room. So I mean, if it's going to be Marcus like year five, year six, I don't don't know at this point, but he, he, you know I mean? At that point, you're a veteran, bro. We get, we gave you a veteran level contract. Like you have to be the guy in the locker room. So when stuff isn't going correctly or if the coach is trying to have you play a certain type of way Mm -hmm. and you know, you see J you know, Jalen or Jason, and these guys being more passive and not, you know, speaking up, being, being being vocal to these younger guys in the locker room, then I think he should take it upon himself and he should be more vocal and talk more. And, 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 you know, whether he's considered being, whether that's considered being turmoil or not, that needs to happen because I feel like uh, that was one of the main problems when Brad was in the locker room is he would get, we would, we would be hearing like, Oh, like no one's in there disciplining. No one's in there, like, you know, really holding people accountable. So, uh, hopefully, I, I want, like, you know, Marcus to really – I think that's the role that he fits to being a leader, to being someone who's willing to hit the floor, to being someone willing to take the charge, to play, do the dirty work on defense. You know, he should be the one that is the vocal leader and the heart behind that team. So, if he's and, – and unless Jason or Jalen want to step up to the plate and prove that they can do that, then it's got to be Marcus.
0: Well, I mean, that's one of the big first problems. Is it should be Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum doing it? And sometimes, Agreed. especially Jason, doesn't do it. Uh, I think that Jalen tries to, but and he's very intellectual and all that kind of stuff. But Tonight. I don't know. It's it's an interesting, but that's one of the problems. Is it, it, like you said, same thing was happening when Brad was here. Now it's similar things are happening when Ime is here. So it might not be the coach. It may just be as much as we love everything that we that Marcus Smart does well. Maybe you just need to change things up, addition by subtraction. It forces Jalen Brown to be that leader, or it forces Jason Taylor. Maybe they are taking the backseat because they're like, "Well, we have the veteran in Marcus Smart right now, so why not let him take control of the room?" And maybe that's a bad thing for the team. I don't know. That's that's where I keep coming back to with that, uh, and it's an unfortunate thing. I want it to all work out, but if we keep going more and more of these years in a row, and the similar things keep happening, it's something's got to change. And I do want to talk about. What needs to change on this team? We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
1: The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: Talking about the Celtics here with Coach Kameyer once again. We're giving out our feelings on this team that has been playing better recently. But overall for the season, it has been a disappointment. When you're only two games above 500 at this point in the year as a Celtic squad that went into it, we're thinking that you have much more talent than this. It's frustrating. You can't be happy with where they're at right now. Yes, they've been playing better in recent games, but it's frustrating because this team should be better. You should never be at this point in the season talking about the Celtics battling to try and get the eight seed in the Eastern Conference. It's just not – that's not the conversation we should be having when we have both the Jays. You have Rob Williams when he's healthy being pretty dominant. You have some of these other great pieces that are getting put into place. I don't know, but does it think – do you think, Coach, with that mentality of we do have enough to be at least better than we are right now – The trade deadline's coming up. Do you think that there's any specific pieces either on our own team or a a position from another team that we can get that this squad really needs to to push it to the next level, to get to a point where we can even contend in a playoff matchup? Because right now, I still feel, even though we've been playing better recently, that this team would be, it would be tough for them to compete against the top tier teams in a playoff matchup. It just doesn't seem like they're hitting on all cylinders. I don't know what it is. Do you think that there's either a piece on our team that needs to be moved or, uh, you know, just something that they need to be going after at this trade deadline? Cause it's coming up quick. It's February 10th. Where are you at with the trade deadline and what this team needs?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the two most glaring things with the Celtics team right now is that we have a young coach, like a, maybe not a young coach, but like a new head coach, um, And we have young players on our bench. Our bench is young and our coach is young. So, but with the, you know, amount of inexperience that we have on this Celtics team, it's making these, you know, these games that we're blowing, these games that we you know, we should win, but we're not winning. You know, I don't think it's a result of, you know, Jason or Jalen or the big dogs, like, you know, Marcus Smart or like Rob Williams. I think they're all playing, and doing what they need to be doing, but it's like they can – you can't rely on these guys to play 48 minutes every single night and, you know, expect them to last the entire season and play successfully um, without injuries. So you're going you to have to rely on these young guys, you know, the Romeo Langford, the, you know, the Na- Naismith, the, you know, Peyton Pritchard, all these young guys um, that are on our bench that need to produce and need to, like, take the big step to, you know, you know, be able to give us quality defense, quality points off the bench quality minutes when our superstars aren't in the game. Uh, I think that is the biggest drawback to seeing why this, this current team won't be able to compete for an NBA, uh, championship or even Eastern conference title this year, uh, is because of that, that youth and the inexperienced coaching and, you know, on the bench, uh, that being said, uh, you know, with the trade line deadline coming up, if we're gonna be moving players, then I would say um, we would want to think about moving the young players as opposed to moving the players that we already have set in stone. I don't think any of those players should be. Moved.
0: OK, so you're you're more on bo- or are you more on board with moving like a Smith and Lankford type to, to go and get some more role players or or some other position? Because I know that uh, one of the big things is, yeah, that that uh, that bench that we have is just getting outscored in a lot of these performances. And the starters can do as much as they want. But if your second unit goes in and, and loses the game by and they're getting outscored by 15, 20 points in the game, that's such a deficit to come in from for the starters that it's uh, you're so behind so you're you're more on board with that because I have been talking about some things about trading for more bench pieces more role players just to go over some of the trades that I've been talking about in recent episodes Uh, I've been seeing even as as recent as the last episode I brought up a, a rumor of a possible move for Dennis Schroeder Aaron Neesmith Romeo Lankford and a second round pick for the Thunders, basically the entire Thunder bench, which is Derek Favors, Kendrick Williams, and Ty Jerome, all guys who are averaging good points on bad teams, not even getting a ton of minutes, but I've always thought that Derek Favors was a serviceable big man as a role player. I think that he's pretty solid. Kendrick Williams and Ty Jerome, they're, they're solid as bench pieces as well. Do you think a whole shuffling of the bench unit would be a really good thing for this team? Is that where you're at with it? or Or do you want something bigger? Because I've also heard rumors of things like trying to move Al Horford for a shooter, bring put him in either Houston for an Eric Gordon type or in Sacramento for a Buddy Heald type, something like that, to bring more scoring off the bench. What would you prefer, more uh, of, a, of a whole, you know, overhaul of the bench, or would you want one specific player to come in and try and lead that second unit?
1: Yeah, I think anybody not named Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Mark, and, uh, Romeo Lang, I mean, uh, Robert Williams. Uh, I think any of those four players we need to keep, I think those are the four players that are going to make or break this team. The others, you know, Al, Truder, the bench, like those guys, I would, I would love it. If we overhaul, we could overhaul them, use those assets, use those young players that we have to get players that are maybe a little bit more, uh, experienced a little bit more seasoned a little bit more ready to make a playoff run. Uh, and, you know, it's still early enough in the year, early, early enough in the season where you can do that and make a big difference. Um, I, I think I, so what you said about the thunder, like, you know, that's maybe a good, a good option for us to trade some of the young assets for some, you know, season bets, you know, so I think that that's, what's going to help bring this team from just being like, you know, four or five, six seed in the Eastern conference to being, you know, a three or a two seed and be able to actually compete with like the top dogs in the uh, Eastern conference.
0: Yeah. It's going to be tough either way. I mean, they got an interesting February schedule, like I said, and just to kind of go over that real quickly, they're going to have seven road games and four home games in February. So right off the bat, not great. Cause you know that the Celtics not as good on the road as they are at home. No, no real NBA team is that, uh, you know, most NBA teams much better at home. That's obvious. But you play the Nets twice on the road in February, that's going to be tough. You play the Sixers on the road, they've beaten you the last two times that they've played you. That's tough. I know everybody always talks about how we're not afraid of the Sixers, but they have beaten you the last two times, and you will be on the road. You have some tough home games against the Hornets who have recently beat you, the Nuggets, and the Hawks who obviously just beat you. Um, They get to play the bottom three teams in the Eastern Conference five times so that's a good thing but I would say it's a pretty even schedule in the month of February unlike January where I thought we had a decisive advantage in January through that schedule this one's going to be a little bit uh, up and down here so do you feel like they need to put in just like a really good performance here in February to to be considered an actual contender whatsoever where where are you at um do you, are there any specific wins from those that you think that they need like from what I mentioned like what do they need to do against the Nets what are the, the sixers those types of teams there do you think that they really need to put a beat down this month or or are they still in an okay position to just battle
1: i mean Celtics i mean they're they're ninth seed right now they're not in a position yeah. where they can afford any losses so i think uh you know to go on a run this year this month where you're playing more road games and you're playing home games i i mean to me if you are able to win you know four out of those seven road games and then, you know, when you know, maybe maybe win out at home. You know what I mean? That's a that's gonna be a really good month. I think that's gonna bump you in the standings up maybe to the six, seven seed. And then, you know, from there you can, you know, you can really push it towards the end of the season depending on what you do in the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, that that would be I, I mean, I think that they once again you need to have a dominant month here. I thought that they needed to have a dominant January take care of uh, business. They had a, a, a good month, they went ten and six. So that was solid. You now need to take air business again in February. You'll start building that momentum. Get above 500, by a good amount of games, and we'll see what we can do. But there's going to be a lot to talk about with the Celtics, and I'm going to bring you back on for them. We now need to start talking about some NFL topics. We need to wrap up the Patriots season. We need to talk about the NFL playoffs and get everything off our chest. So we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
1: The Claptrap with your host,
0: Zach Clapp all right so we are talking with coach kamire we've been talking all about the celtics but it's time to talk about the nfl it's time to get his thoughts we have to catch up about the patriots season the way things ended haven't talked to him since that. Also, we've had the NFL playoffs happening. We officially have our Super Bowl matchup, which is going to be the Bengals and the Rams. Crazy enough to think that the Bengals are going to be in it, but we'll get to talk about that as well. I do have to start off with the Patriots, though. And once again, I do want to say happy Groundhog's Day to everyone out there in uh, listening in WKKA land. I appreciate it. And as we know, since it is Groundhog's Day, it will be Tom Brady looking to see if he saw his shadow. And if he does see his shadow, that means five more years of darkness for the NFL. Well, actually, that, that joke doesn't play really anymore because we just got the Scheffler bomb as we've been recording for this. And uh, it looks like Tom Brady has officially retired. So we'll start off saying real quickly, Coach, how does that make you feel that Tom Brady, the legend, is finally retired uh, from the NFL? How are you feeling?
1: Oh, man, he's the best to ever do it in any sport ever uh so you know it's always sad when you have to watch one of them uh for great you know he's great Uh, like any like obviously quarterbacks football uh sports in general he's great so it's uh you know definitely tough to see him you know hang it up but uh you know i can't say that you know it's not time right He's, he's 44 years old uh, he should he should be able to enjoy uh, what uh, other things that life has to offer at this point, not be uh, having his life fully consumed with football at this point. I'm sure Giselle is really, really happy. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so, so uh, you know, it's, it's sad. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm just truly blessed as a Patriots fan to have witnessed what I was able to witness from the time I was six years old to, uh, you know, the time I'm twenty friggin' seven now, and, and, he, and he's still in the league and still performing, uh, having one of the best seasons he's ever had, uh, you know, I don't think we'll ever see another player in any sport be as dominant as Brady was in the game of football and his quarterback. So, yeah, uh, we- I'm right out in the sunset now. You would have liked him the Super Bowl win, but uh, still, he's one of the best ever.
0: Should have done it last year. Uh, no, yep. it's. Uh, do you feel though, that you're losing a piece of yourself? Or is a piece of yourself retiring your childhood? Whatever it is, are you feeling that way?
1: I feel like I'm finally old. I feel <laughs> like I feel like now uh, I can be like I can all I can just kind of be like. Remember when Tom Brady played? <laughs> oh There's boy, definitely like Tom Brady. Like you know all these young guys mm-hmm. coming in. Like he's mm-hmm. no Tom. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm gonna be like my dad, like talking about Joe Montana or something. You know.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to get into that, too, because uh, people were comparing Brady to Mahomes. But, you know, we'll get into that. I do want to just wrap up, though, the Patriots season first before we get into the most recent NFL topics, because we haven't been able to get your opinion. Obviously, it ended pretty badly getting dismantled by that Bills team. Third time we played them in the season. Uh, So I got to ask, do you feel Because I answered this question a couple of episodes ago myself. Do you feel as though the Patriots season coach was a failure or a success?
1: Uh, I mean, you weren't going to go. That, I mean, I said it from the beginning: you weren't going to go and win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones rookie. Uh, you weren't going to make it that far. You were going to, you know. I mean, you were We definitely had successful parts of our season, knowing that we weren't going to win a Super Bowl. So it was like, you know, obviously you got to groom in Mac Jones. Uh, and be our potential like quarterback for the next you know uh you know 10, 10 years or whatever. But uh, you know the season in a whole like I thought the defense towards the end of the season underperformed uh from all the hype that you know and it seems like this has been a commonality I've seen with these more recent uh you know defenses Belichick's had is where we will look like in the first Eight to twelve weeks of the season, like the Patriots' defense is the most dominant, lights out, like scary, uh, you know, thing in the world. And then all of a sudden, like as we get into December, uh, the Bills had just demolished us. Like I don't know why anybody thought it was going to be any different. The Bills had just, but they, we we haven't made the 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 Bills punt in eight quarters. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's, it's ridiculous to me that we thought that we were going to get a different outcome for the playoff game. I just think, you know, whatever it is going on with the defense, it's like we're not able to – whether it's teams figuring out what we're doing or it, it's just so we're not playing with the same intensity. Or we didn't really have any, like, crazy injuries or anything where we lost anybody. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought that, that the whole ending part of the season last, like, you know – Four games, really, uh, you know, very disheartening for all, all Pats fans, you know. So, uh, hope you know, like like you go back to losing to Miami, I was just like, this team's not going anywhere. Like, it's like to, to me, that, that's how I felt. I was like, when they when lost to Miami, I was like, we, we can't even beat a, a, a team that's on the cuffs of the playoffs. How the heck do we expect to beat be, the Bills? And even if we had, had to beat the Bills uh, to beat the Chiefs or the Bengals, like, you know what I mean? It would have been a tall order. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I wasn't very happy with how it ended. I thought offensively, you know, even in that playoff game, it's like, I understand that you have Mac Jones, you're not going to bring you, you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, bring out the whole playbook and everything and this and that, but it's like, you know, at some point you got to like, let the kid play with some fire, man. You got to like, you know, you you're down by how much in the first half, like, what do you have to lose at that point? Let the kid, like, you know, throw the ball down the field. And, you know, I think playing so conservative made it easier for a lot of teams to have to defend us. It's just it, – it, they, they, you saw it in the Miami game. He threw a pick six on the first play because we threw, like, a we just tried to throw, like, a, a you know, a flat route out to the sideline like it was, you know, like, like it was nothing. Like we were – like he was just, like, you didn't even have to think about it. And like, I don't want Mac Jones to get too comfortable with that Like that type of an offense where he's like, I, he's not really having to read anything and just ma- making it very simple, very vanilla for him because good defenses are going to figure out how to, uh, how to make plays off that. And that's exactly what Flores did there. He, he hopped, you know, they, they played the cover two, uh, you know, trap there and hopped the route and bring, took it back for six to open up the game. And it's like, then getting the playoff game and then Max throwing uh, interceptions and stuff off of, you know, easy reads and everything. It it was altogether uh, kind of disheartening and, and to what could have been a good season.
0: I'll make it easy for you. It's a failure. It's, it's just a failure. I, I, I think yeah. that after that long, uh, you, you know, you went on a run of seven games in a row of looking like you were a good team. They started getting though, kind of like what you were alluding to, almost like the boogeyman vibes of, you know, this team. Oh, look at this defense, look at this defense. But we didn't really play anybody. We played maybe the Chargers, you could say, was the best game that they had during that whole win streak, but otherwise it was all teams that were injured or not playing up to their standards or was playing the Atlanta Falcons or whatever it was, and you're beating up on all those teams. So we looked a lot better. But I think it's a failure because I did think this team was going to maybe get, you know, to the 10-11 win range and get into the playoffs. I think it's a failure because of the way that it ended, though, kind of like what you said. You can't just completely fall flat on your face. Last four games of the regular season, you only win one, and it's against that Jaguars team. That's an absolute nothing. You go into the playoff game against the Bills. You had already played them two times in the year. Just put up an effort. Put up like put up a better effort than what you did. You got absolutely destroyed. That's what makes it a failure to me. I also feel like if you're just going to break it down to one specific thing that could have changed the whole entire outcome. To me, I, I keep going back on this people could say what they want about it. But the fact that we won that coin toss against the Bills and chose not to receive the ball to start off the game, I think was a huge mistake. I think that you had a chance to put in your game plan, go in and try and run the ball right out the gate. Instead, you give the ball to Josh Allen. He walks down the field. You're already down 7 nothing. Mac Jones does walk down the field. You throw a pick, and all of a sudden, you know, then they are up 14 to nothing. You're completely out of your game. You're not a team that's built to be able to throw the ball and come back. You're a front-running team that needs to be able to run the ball this team's offense was built for Cam Newton, not for Mac Jones. So I don't know. I think that that was a huge mistake, not taking the ball to try and get your style of the offense in, try and control the clock, run the ball in that Bills game. I think that was a huge mistake. I think it was a failure of a season. I'm upset about it, and I I need to see more going into next year, but I think that a part of that will be bringing in more offensive pieces so Mac Jones can be better and more reliable in those situations, because in all honesty, they can open up the playbook all they want, but if you're throwing at guys like Jacoby Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and as much as we love them as Patriots fans, they're not top tier wide receivers. And they're not going to get open for you. They're not going to create separation. So it's tough for him to, to, to rely on Mac Jones to be able to do that. But I want to keep talking about this. I want to keep talking about the Patriots. I want to talk about other NFL things. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
1: The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: We're continuing the conversation about the NFL. We're wrapping up our thoughts about the Patriots season. I know it's been weeks since the Patriots season was over, but we haven't been able to talk with Coach Kamire about things, so we were going over everything. I think we just decided, uh, or I, I, I made the decision for Coach Kamire. That season was a failure. The way that they ended, it was a failure for the Patriots. It's unfortunate. I'm happy that we got to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. That's great and all, but I expected more. I expected to at least be in the game in the playoffs. That was my very minimum criteria for a successful season instead you got destroyed it's got to be a failure but One of the things that happened in that game and what Coach Kamire was talking to is the fact that, and throughout the season, I should say, they held Mac Jones back or it felt like they held Mac Jones back in certain situations. They didn't go for it on certain fourth downs. They didn't try and, you know, open up the playbook down in the red zone. It was things that fans and, and everyone alike were looking at it like, why are they not allowing Mac Jones to do his thing? And it could be because either Bill Belichick was not ready for him to do that. It could be because Josh Josh McDaniels didn't have full trust in him. It could be just like what I was saying. This offense wasn't built to be able to throw. And your best receivers were Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne, which is not going to get you anywhere as far as a passing offense. So with the new news that Josh McDaniels will be leaving the Patriots to go and coach the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, are you worried at all, Coach Kameyer, about the loss here of Josh McDaniels? Do you think it'll affect the develop of Mac Jones? Do you think that this could affect it in a positive way where a new coach will open things up for Mac Jones more? Or where are you at with the the loss of Josh McDaniels going forward here?
1: I think it's a good breakup, up break up that needed to happen. Um, Josh McDaniels, you look at it from that perspective. Your uh, coordinator, who's been coordinating well, he's been one of the best coordinators in the league for many years. But it's like, at some point, man, you gotta, you know, you gotta take that next step. You gotta like be a head coach, and you gotta, you know, you gotta take the next step for yourself, you know. And like, and you know, not for nothing. Here in New England, Josh McDaniels, I feel like his play calling uh, almost went stale. It got to the point where, like, you know, if I'm watching the television, I already know what Josh McDaniels is thinking. And if I know what Josh McDaniels <laughs> is thinking, then I can guarantee the team on the other side knows what Josh McDaniels is thinking. So it's probably not the best look for your rookie quarterback to be going out there uh, and having, you know, the other team already have an advantage being, you know, knowing – uh what you're doing before you even do it so you know from that perspective I think it's a breakup that needed to happen I think both sides uh you know like obviously McDaniels needs to move on and further his career and you know prove that he can be a head coach and then uh I think that's a good opportunity for him in Vegas I think like that's a team that is obviously down right now they have good pieces but they just need someone to like set the ship right so hopefully that's something that McDaniels can do over there um, provide like a new, uh, you know, system for them to develop it. But, uh, for Mac Jones and the, you know, future of the Patriots offense, I think that, you know, having a new coordinator in here is going to be good for us. It's going to be hopefully something that can provide a little bit more spark to the game. to so, to, uh, you know, what we've been watching is, Patriots fans all these years, like obviously when it was Brady, it was different. it's like yes, McDaniel's will call the plays that he wants to see, but you also had a quarterback that had the ability to audible and make adjustments on the fly, and you know create whatever type of situation or scenario that he needed to have happen uh, during the course of the game. Now you're now you had your you know the rookie quarterback. You don't really have that opportunity because, you know, when Josh calls a play, Mac says the play and you're running the play. There's not really much else going on there. So it, uh, that's even different from what his, you know, college offense was being a spread offense and being able to have a little bit more fluidity with the game and having, you know, the ability to read coverages and make plays with his arm, something he's accustomed to doing in Alabama. Um I think the obvious choice here is to probably bring in uh, Bill O'Brien and to like, try to get, uh, you know, that weekend, recant- that, you know, mentality of an offense. Cause I think Bill O'Brien, obviously, you know, he had his faults as being a head coach, but being a coordinator, he's always been very good. He's, you know, he's had success everywhere he's been. He's been able to have, create high powered offenses. Uh, so I think like, Something like that is more accustomed to what Max good at, and that's spreading it out. You know, like throwing the ball a little bit more, getting guys in situation with space. And Max better at making those reads. Max better at like getting the ball out of his hands. Uh, now, does that mean I want us to completely abort the run game and you know everything? Like no, like I think we have good backs. Obviously, we have Stevenson. We have Harris. Uh, you know, we have. We, you know, we have the ability. And it's already set. Like Mac knows how to do all these handoffs and all these play actions already. So that's like a part of the offense that we need to keep in. But I just think uh, allowing more of a spread concept, more of like a, you know, air raid type concepts where he can go out there and he can throw the ball down the field, you know, past 10 yards uh, is going to be more what Mac's uh, good at, you know. Uh, So. Hopefully, that's what we can see in the future, but it'll obviously depend on who we end up signing as uh, coordinator when uh, the Patriots get around to it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you're right, though. I think that it will be a Bill O'Brien. I think it'll be somebody that's been in the coaching tree before and that, that Bill feels comfortable you know, giving the reins to and that kind of thing. I do wonder, though it because i personally was on board with having josh mcdaniels be the next head coach of the patriots i thought that he could be groomed into that position i thought he was worth giving another chance what's a better chance to have than the patriots that's the system that he works best in i know that you think that maybe some of the play calls have gone stale but you bring in a number one wide receiver all of a sudden that play calling can open up a little bit more you have more trust in mac jones that's kind of where i was headed with it i wanted josh mcdaniels to be to give it a shot as the next Patriots head coach. Do you think, though, that with all this happening, it's a sign that Bill has basically signed on for a lot more years because Josh McDaniels saw the writing on the wall. He was like, man, I thought that Bill was going to be done in the next two years or so. I could hang on for that to get the job. But now if he's going to be here for another five years, I'm not going to sit around for that. Do you think it's something along those lines that led to Josh McDaniels leaving?
1: I think Bill, just like Tom, will coach until he feel like he's unfit for the duty so uh I think that means for him uh his age I think he's probably got another another solid five um ten would be pushing it I think he's maybe got like five good years left in it so uh that being said I think uh, you know the heir to the Patriots throne <laughs> if we're, we're going to say it like that, I guess mm-hmm. uh, it's probably going to end up being, I mean, as it, it, nepotism as this is, but it's going to be, his, it's going to be its son. Ugh. I mean, I mean it, it's, it just makes it, I mean, it, to me, that's what the Patriots organization looks like. It looks like a bunch of nepotism because you're going to get craft is going to hand it to craft. Belichick is going to, is already setting up his son to, be the heir I mean we're watching it happen right now he's giving him full defensive duties he's got his other son on the roster Mm coaching. uh it's it's just to me it's just like how are you going to out that once it gets to that point like if Belichick's like okay well I'm going to relinquish my head coaching duties to go be the GM and now we're going to appoint Steve as the new head coach Mm -hmm. what's Mm -hmm. gonna you know what I mean what who's stopping anybody from doing that
0: yeah, no, that's uh, I, I unfortunately think that you might be onto something there. I really hope that's not the case, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would like them handing it over to, say, a Matt Patricia any more than a Steve Belichick or, you, you know what I mean? I, I don't necessarily like any of those scenarios. My ideal scenario would be find a way to bring Brian Flores back and let him be the next head coach of this team. That would be the ideal scenario, but I know that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but, you know, it, it, we are where we are. We're going to see how things go. I'm hoping that Bill can last for a lot longer. I do think, though, to your point about they know when they should retire, I still think Brady's got a few more good years in him. I think that he's just pissed off with the whole Bruce Arians situation and the Buccaneers and everything like that. That's why he's retiring. But that's a whole nother scenario and a whole nother topic. I do want to get into some other topics, though, We had some crazy NFL games in the playoffs. I want to talk about that and some other things. We come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap
1: with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: Okay, we've been having a great conversation with Coach Kameyer. It is a Groundhog Day episode. We are talking about the NFL now. We just kind of wrapped up all the talk about the Patriots where we think we're at with everything if you haven't listened to any of the show it'll be up as a podcast uh wherever podcasts are found just search the claptrap if you want to go back and listen to anything that coach chemire and i have had to say about the celtics and or the patriots but now we're going to talk about some other nfl teams some other nfl action because we had some crazy nfl playoff games happen especially in the the last week before the conference championship you had four games ending on the last second plays uh, and that was wild enough as it is. You have the the uh, Chiefs beating the Bills in overtime, and it brought up the whole thing about the overtime rules once again, where the Chiefs were able to get the ball and they were able to roll right down the field, get a touchdown and the game and Josh Allen and the Bills didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime. It brought up the whole conversation about should the NFL rules be changed for overtime? Should it just be in the playoffs? Should it be in the regular season? All of them whatsoever. I found it funny that the, the Chiefs obviously were not complaining about the rules anymore because it worked out in their favor, though a couple of years before that when it didn't work out in their favor against the Patriots, they were crying more than anyone's ever cried in the history of the NFL, talking about needing to make changes now to this rule and all that kind of stuff. So... First, I just want to start off going back to that. uh, I mean, great games overall, but do you think that the overtime rules are something that they need to look into that need to be changed right now? It seems to be the topic of conversation everywhere, and it just happened again in the conference championship uh, where it it became a thing. Do you feel as though it should be changed? I feel like a lot of people think it should be.
1: Uh, I mean, I don't think it's not fair. I mean, I think both teams going into the going into the playoffs, going into the games, know the deal with the overtime rules. So it's like, I mean, if you look at the Chiefs, like yes, like last like last week when they you know played the Bills, they uh, end up getting the point they got the coin toss win. They drove down the field. They ended the game or they scored a touchdown. Like if you don't want that to happen, if you're gonna be mad about Bills, like play defense, lock them down kick the field goal, and then, uh, you know, you'll have your chance and opportunity with the ball. Like, that's the rules. Like, you should you know that. And, you know, don't cry about it after if you weren't crying about it before. Uh, and then, likewise, I mean, you look at this past weekend with, uh, you know, the Chiefs, they go and they win the toss. They get stopped on defense. They throw a pick. Uh, Bengals come down the field, kick the game-winning field goal, and the is over. You know what I mean? So, it's like, how can you say the rules don't work when we literally just saw both scenarios of how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's how, like, you know, you won the first game, like the Chiefs going down and it worked out for them. They scored their touchdown. If you score a touchdown in overtime, it's sudden death. You lose. Yeah. Uh, if it And if it's, you know what I mean, it's the other way around. You go down there and, you, you know, you don't want to throw an interception. The other team kicks the field goal. Now you lose. Like, it's, you know what I mean? That's part of it. Um, personally. Uh, like, that's why I don't like the teams complaining about it. I don't like, you know, it can't be a crybaby about it. It's rules of the rules. Like, you want to make it, you know, if you're going to say something about it, say something out before the season when rules being a made? Don't say something about it because it didn't work out in your favor. Right. Uh, now, personally, I believe that the NFL should just adopt the college rules and everyone's happy and no one will ever, like, who, who's ever complaining about a college overtime? When's the last time you... You heard anybody complain about college overtime and saying like, oh, not both teams didn't have an equal opportunity.
0: Oh, yeah, though no, they don't do that. I think it's just uh it's you're taking away the football side of it. And I think my my whole stance on it has been the chance to me personally. And I am maybe a different mindset than a lot of people out there. I know it's the fantasy football world now, and I enjoy it, too. But and everybody loves the offense, offense, offense. But. I think the champion of the NFL should have to be able to display good offense, good defense, and good special teams. You should be able to do all three facets of the game. You shouldn't just be an overall offensive juggernaut and somehow make it all the way because of you know this, that, or the other thing. You have to prove that. So like you said, if you want to stop them, if you want to have a chance to get the ball in overtime, then stop them. The Bills, I believe, in a lot of statistics, were ranked as the number one defense overall by the end of the regular season you have to be able to go in and stop them if you can't you lose also you had chances earlier in the game to stop them as well before it got into overtime you got into overtime it is how it is now as far as what i would want the change to be i think that the college r- rule is it's cool for college but it seems a little gimmicky to me so in the nfl and i would not want this in the regular season but in the o- in in the overtimes of the playoffs I would say you just play another quarter of football. You just keep going and playing the same game in the uh, the playoffs because I understand that in the regular season that would be too crazy and all of a sudden you have more injuries, you have all these things here, but I want to be able to see both offense and defense. I don't want to just see somebody in the red zone immediately and it's all offense and it's how many times can your offenses match each other. I personally love defense, so I want to be able to see all of the game, and I think that's how it should be decided. I know that might not be the way that you think about it, but I, yeah. I think that you should have both opportunities.
1: I know, I, 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 but I think personally that proves your defense more and your special teams more is being in the red zone scenarios. It's like it's like obviously if you're backed up and your defense has to make a play to make a stop like in college, then I think though that's way harder to do, like that proves you're a better team then the other team, your defense can hold them in the red zone. Or vice versa, how, how good is your kicker? Can your kicker consistently – and if you are getting stopped and your kicker can make the field goals or not, like that's going to determine whether you win or lose. So, like, I I don't know. I, I think the 25-yard line and in for overtime, I don't think, like, the 10-yard line and in or anything. I think 25 and in. Okay. And you, get, you give them that opportunity to, like, go down and score and then and, and you give the other team the opportunity – like obviously, yes, special teams is a part of it, uh, but I really, you can get that to the field goal kicking. But it's like for me, like I, these, these. I think that the regular season has to replicate the postseason. I don't think we should make special rules for the postseason because now coaches have to get used to two sets of rules, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't like that. I think that it should be one set of you know this is the playoffs, whether it's in season, whether it's in season or postseason, mm-hmm. um, and it's. I think also that. Um, I, for these players, I, I personally I don't think it's like healthy for them to be playing like you know another quarter of football. Like, oh yeah. like even if it's only in the playoffs that they're playing the extra quarter, that is mileage man. My, that is so much If you're playing a whole like imagine if, like the, if, if this was like uh, the bills and the, and the chiefs or whatever and they had literally taken the whole quarter and no one had scored. What do you do after that? Do you play another quarter after that? And now you've made, you've made these, these teams play a whole second half at that point. Mm. And now it's like, it's, it's like, now you're looking out for play of safety. Like they're, they're not like, and even if whoever ends up coming out of a game like that and they have to go uh, to play somebody next week, now they're frigging depleted. They just played six quarters of a game, a game and a half. And the other team only played four quarters. If you do the NFL over, if you do the college overtime rules, uh, like yes, you might ha- have a scenario where like you know seven or eight overtimes will happen, but th- <laughs> and that's still not even close to the amount of work that's being put through playing a whole other quarter or two of football. Like that's that's so much like a quarter of football is a long time. Like that's like you know that's six or seven full full drives on both ends. So it's like right. If, no, I if just the, if the other team only has 25s and ins, like those are those drives are much shorter. They're quicker. They're less plays.
0: I think I just um I guess it goes to the way I kind of look at other sports as well. I I think that's a little gimmicky just because it's it's just like in like hockey with a shootout that det- that determines the, the game. that's the best part of hockey. Man. Okay, all right, but to me personally
1: I hate part it. Of soccer is the I hate soccer. What? I hate it.
0: I hate it all. I hate uh, all of that. I hate I hate see, that it all I don't comes like down
1: their sports, but I do like their overtime.
0: OK, I, I hate that it comes down to this one thing that's not even the actual game that you're playing. It's this whole other thing where it's just this moment that very rarely happens in the game for those sports specifically for hockey. And for I'm not talking about football right now. Hockey and soccer. Rarely do you get that that one on. Uh, oh, the, the, the breakaway opportunity, whatever. It very rarely happens. That shouldn't be deciding an entire game. So for, for the college or the, the pro thing if you're talking about giving him a chance inside the red zone constantly, that just seems like a shootout scenario to me. I'm yeah. not a big fan of that personally. I know shootout, that a lot of people are, I know that a lot shootout of people sell
1: are. tickets, man. I don't know, man. That's <laughs> that's, that's for me. Like I, I'm like not a big fan of hockey. I've never been like, but anytime I've watched a hockey game and it's gone to a shootout bang, I'm instantly like, this is awesome. And that's, then like, or if I read versa, soccer, like same deal. Like I like watch soccer, like, you know, with World Cup scenarios where it comes down to like just like one person versus one goalie and one kick, and that's it's it's yeah. suspenseful. It's it's what the people right. Want to see it's some it's, people, you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. It's like I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to because I feel like that brings out the most the best in you when your back against the wall. It's just one on one. I just feel like I it's to, I wouldn't want to see the NFL go into a scenario where it would be like you know. Your quarterback out there, and then you pick your three best receivers versus their three best DBs, and you're just doing one on ones. Obviously, no one wants. No, to play no, that.
0: no. Nobody's As saying it, that, but I, I just, I just want to stay but, away from the gimmicky stuff, and I, I think that that changes a little too much of it. But there is a little bit more that I want to talk about. We gotta, we gotta wrap and go to the next segment here, though. So we're gonna wait to talk more NFL when we come back after this on ninety point seven WKKL,
1: the Clap Trap with your host Zach Clap.
0: Okay, We've been talking everything about the NFL. We just talked about rule changes. We talked about things that were going on in the playoffs. We had wrapped up the Patriots season before that. We talked about the Celtics even before that. So go and find it on the podcast. But there are a few last things that I want to talk about with Coach Kamara before we let him go. We had the uh, the AFC and NFC Championship games happen. You now have the official Super Bowl matchup of Bengals against the Rams. And it was funny enough because I had gone out to eat on Sunday. And who do I run into? But Coach Kamire out uh, when we get to the restaurant, he's sitting at the bar. He's watching the Bengals-Chiefs game. Run right into him, talking him up. And we're talking about what's going to happen here, what's going to be the outcome of the playoff games. And I'm convinced, oh, I mean, it's going to be Chiefs-Rams. That's just obvious. Everybody knows that that's what it's going to be the Chiefs start rolling up early I think we both talked about how we both would our ideal scenario and I've said this on uh, shows before this was Bengals 49ers I think that that would be a great uh, chaotic matchup for the NFL and I would love that they would be scrambling for terrible ratings I think that that would be funny to me personally but I know that everybody wanted the big juggernaut matchup of Rams Chiefs it didn't happen and Mahomes kind of blew it the chiefs kind of blew it but i do want to ask you and i guess i got to just answer that for you but did the chiefs lose the game or did the Bengals win the afc championship game i gotta ask we were both watching it i know you were rooting for the Bengals. how did you feel about that game
1: um joe burrow won that game okay 100 he, he put the team on his back and he came back from a 21 to 3 deficit and did everything now the chiefs lost the game yeah 100 they blew it uh they, yeah. they you're down in the red zone. I mean, how many times would Bill Belichick let his team five seconds left in the half? You're at the three yard line. You have points right there. You kick the field goal and you walk away. I you're, mean, you're you're not chasing points at that point. You're, you're, you have a lead
0: have some cojones at Bruce air. I mean, not, not Bruce Arians, uh, Andy Reed and be able to tell your quarterback, no, you're not going back out there to pass the ball behind the line of scrimmage. It's just, yes. no, so whatever, but continue. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: That's like that, 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 when that happened, I was like, that's a momentum shift. And like, mm-hmm. yes, they were still down 21 to 10 at that point, And like it still looked like the chiefs were rolling right down the field whenever they wanted and all mm-hmm. this and that. But I was like, momentum in football is like no other sport. It's like, obviously, you see in basketball sometimes and baseball every once in a while, whatever. But momentum in football, like, you can, like, you almost, like, smell it off the TV screen. Like (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, the Bengals just took their last possessions for a touchdown, and then they made a huge goal line stop. Mm -hmm. And then I said, coming out of halftime, I was like, watch. If the the Bengals can stop them on this drive right here and force them to a three and out, the Bengals are going to win this game. And then they they just like clockwork. Mahomes goes out there. I don't know if that was when he threw the pick on or, or he just went three and out on that. drive. I think he just but, went
0: three and out out of the. I think
1: you, you gave the, you gave the Bengals the ball back. They were able to put together a drive. They were able to put more points up. And now just like now just before you know it, it's twenty one to seventeen. It's a game mm-hmm. again. It's like, you know, it's 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 like uh, you know. To me, it was like, it was just a stupid move by the Chiefs to not kick that field goal at the end of the half. Because yeah. instead of, instead of like, you know, put like, you know, choking on the, you know, like kind of like making sure that there's no way this team can come back, you give them, you breathe life in their lungs, man. You give, you give them an opportunity to come back. Yeah. That being said, I think truly if this was Bengals versus Bills in Buffalo, the Bills are in the Super Bowl right
0: now. Ooh. All right. You don't think that they would have blown that type of a, a situation there?
1: No. I think they're a much better coach team. I don't think they would have uh I don't think that they would I don't think they would as, as much as Sean McDervis gets and everything. I do think he is uh a, a pretty good NFL coach. I think he he does take he does talk a little too much and he puts himself in these bad scenarios. A and lot you can,
0: when his face gets blush red oh, yeah. and you can tell oh, yeah. that he's completely off his game had he has some oh, yeah. of those moments. Whoa.
1: Oh, big time. So, I mean, like, I, I just don't think that the bills would have lost that game in Buffalo. Like the chiefs blew that game in Kansas city, man. It's just, I, I don't think that the Bengals are the best team in the AFC Do you No.
0: No, no. I I mean, the Chiefs definitely blew that game as far as I'm concerned. Hindsight is very easy to say, but, I I mean, they lost it at that halftime at, at, at the end of the first half. When you don't at least get a field goal there, in that scenario to put it up by two touchdowns to 24 to 10 and then you also would have had the ball coming out into the second half so you go into halftime with the mentality of all right we just scored again we're up now 14 points you're coming out a lot better instead of we just got stopped we're only up 21 to 10 11 points we're gonna get the ball back but the momentum's down like you said you could smell it you could smell that it was coming so I mean I still think that there was moments later in the game where they obviously had chances Mahomes still had some balls in him to be able to get that tying field goal at the very end of the game there he was able to you know bring it back and send it to send it over but but that's still huge for them uh and then they do get the ball in overtime you think that that's going to be the the it's, all right it's over he gets it he got the coin flip all that kind of stuff everybody's been talking about it but then he throws the pick because you have to play defense at overtime as well if you want to actually win so I don't know I thought it was great I I thought it was awesome to see them blow it uh, I, I You know me. I'm a big Tyree Kill hater, so I'm, I'm happy whenever he's not involved in anything going forward, so happy there, but now let's move it to the Super Bowl because the Rams were able to take care of business against the 49ers. They actually did a nice little comeback as well in their game, and McVay was able to get over the hump of beating Kyle Shanahan, all that stuff, and Kyle Shanahan, once again, blows another big lead in the playoff game. Is that First of all, that guy, I don't think that he can handle playing in the playoffs. I don't think that he can coach in the playoffs. He blows so many big leads, but we're going into this Super Bowl now. It's Bengals or Rams. I think I already know your answer to this question, but who would you rather see win this Super Bowl, the Bengals or the Rams?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I mean, I think Stafford deserves it more. I think he, uh, you know, he's gone through a whole career being in Detroit. Mm -hmm. It was funny. I was like listening. I saw like some meme online and they were like, Wow, it's like Stafford's in the Super Bowl, and Eminem's like part of the halftime shows. Detroit as close as Detroit's ever going to get to a Super Bowl. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I would I would say the man has gone through a lot in his career. He's proven that he can win. He's proven he's tough. He's proven he's like a you know a a top tier NFL quarterback year in and year out. Uh, he's just always been in a crappy situation. So I think like now. He's finally got his himself in the right situation. He's got a team around him that is like probably one of the most decked out defenses and, you know, prolific offenses I've seen in a long time. Like this is a, this on paper, this is like a, a, a very tough team to beat for the Bengals. Cause it's like, oh yeah. if You look at the Bengals and what they, their disadvantages are. Like obviously uh, the O line, I mean, in the divisional game you get sacked nine times. You know, you don't win a lot of games where you get sacked nine times. Uh, you know, defensively, uh, you know, they they were letting Tyreek Hill get behind them and get letting Kelsey get behind them uh and, and making big plays during in the first half and that secondary didn't look like it could uh hold them when they were rolling like that earlier in the game. So I mean now you're gonna almost amplify that by uh, By ten, when you look at the Rams' offense having uh, Cooper Cup and having uh, Odell Beckham now, and you know those like that those that tandem has proven to be one of the best receiving duos in the NFL in the last like seven weeks of the season, I would say. Uh, Because now it's like, what? Well, what are you going to do? You're going to pick your poison. You're going to play two over Cooper Cup, and you're going to leave one of the best. One on one receivers, the NFL scene one on one. That's like it's you know Odell's gonna have his way with most corners in the league, uh, or vice versa. You're gonna put you know a couple of guys some a safety high over Odell, and you're gonna let Cooper Cup take the middle of the field. Cooper Cup's going way too smart of a receiver. He knows what's going on with the defense. He knows where to put himself. He knows how to run his routes to get open. Uh, it's it's gonna be a tall order for the the Bengals defense to have to contain those two guys, uh, as well as it's going to be impossible for their offensive line, the Bengals offensive line to try to stop uh, Aaron Donald Miller. uh, Yeah. It's going to be a lot. These guys, I mean, Ramsey is going to be a good lockdown for, uh, for uh, Jamar chase all game, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's going to be, uh, a really tough task for the Bengals, so I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Rams here.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought that you were going to go with the Joe Burrow. I know you were all excited about that, but he'll have his other chances. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Matt Stafford, uh, I think that he deserves it for all that trouble with the Lions. I do feel bad for Lions fans. They're going to root for the Rams, and then the Rams are going to win, and then they're going to be like, wait, why did we just do that? Why? Like, this sucks. Uh, but I will say I will probably be betting on the Bengals, who are right now they have it's a plus four for the Bengals. so i'll take the points uh, but i think that the rams are going to win and i want Stafford to win but that was a great episode i wanted to say thank you for coming and, to, and talking again i to want to try and bring you back in a couple of weeks here we'll talk more celtics i want to talk about the super bowl and how everything went down but thank you coach kamara for coming back onto the show yeah
1: man good to be back hopefully I can be a little more available for y'all
0: That's all right. Well, we'll get you in there. We'll work around your schedule.
1: This has been a WKKL podcast feature. For the full episode, go to WKKL.fm.